Our scripture reading today is Micah 6, 1 through 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilag, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of the soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And now Nauruli will come up to introduce our guest speaker for today. Good morning, Watermark. Um, Good morning. I'm Natalie. I serve on the missions board at Watermark, and I'm here to introduce our next guest speaker. Um, She is a friend of mine and somebody that I appreciate very much for the work that she does in our community and bringing forth the kingdom of God. Um, One of the things that the mission board wants to do is make leaders in our community accessible to all of our congregation and facilitate the relationship that we have with them. So without further ado, Julie Wood. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, thank you, Natalie. And I thank God. I'm really happy to be here today. I'm very thankful for the worship that we all just got to experience and just how I really felt like that really, this is a continuation of what we just experienced in that worship. And I'm thankful of how much they really just led us into the heart of God. And it was very powerful and moving for me. My prayer here today is, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, into this place and speak to us. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. And my prayer and what I know is that God will speak to you. Because God is God. And you are actually someone that God wants to speak to. He wants you to hear his voice. So just listen and discern what God is saying to you and how Christ is drawing you into his heart today. You see, I'm someone that my heart is for a more just world. I want to see a more just world. I want to see a more just Tampa, actually, our our neighborhoods. And I want to, it's been on my heart for the last 10 plus years, 13 more years. And so I know that God is a God of justice. 
And we are people of God, and we need to be about his business. But I don't know if we actually can fully understand that word, justice. God's calling us into justice and to be, to act justly. But what does justice actually mean? There's definitions like that to be, that justice is about being morally right or being fair. But even those words are loaded words. I mean, depending on the person, depending on their history, their personal history, their experiences, people are going to come to different conclusions about what is actually morally fair or right. So I think, you know, we have some work to do to really understand more about what is justice and to be able to walk that out in the way that God is calling us to. We're taught in the word, the scripture that's still up here, and it's actually a very common scripture that you probably have seen a lot, where in Micah 6, 8, that what does God require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. So picture in your mind someone that's calling for justice. And you probably have a lot of images that you could choose from over the last several years of someone calling for justice. Something unjust has happened and there's a person that's saying, I want justice. I need justice. We need justice. When I picture that person, I don't also equate in my mind and think, oh, they're so full of mercy. I'm not also thinking, oh, that person really characterizes humility. But yet God's recalling us to all three of those at the same time. How can we do that? How can we actually embody all three at the same time? So there must be something that we're missing about our understanding of justice. And there must be a way that we can get a more full understanding So what are we missing? Justice is a complicated and a nuanced word, so we have some work to do. For me, this journey started about 13 years ago in 2009. At the time, I was in my late 30s, and for me, my 30s were riddled with depression and anxiety. I was not in a good place for pretty much all my 30s. I remember just that feeling that I'm sure there's lots of you that can relate to at times just wanting to fade away. Like you wouldn't necessarily want to take your own life in the moment, but you just don't want to keep going. You don't want to be here. I can also remember driving home the same route every day from the job that I was at, and there was this wall and this ditch, and there would be just flashes across my mind of, should I just take that sharp turn into that wall? I was really struggling. I'd gone through a divorce that was pretty brutal, and it was devastating to me. I was that person that committed that I was never getting divorced. It did not matter what, I was not gonna go through a divorce. And then I wake up in my mid-30s, divorced with a child in a very high-stress job, and I was just grappling with the meaning of life. I had already, when I was 17, had already wanted to give my life to Jesus and follow Jesus, But here I was that many years later grappling with the meaning of life. And I was at a place that I was done with church. I had sent an email to um, the person that was leading the little group of people 
church that I was with at the time and told him, I just can't do this anymore. I'm not going to sit in a building once a week and just and give money towards chairs and the building and whatever. I'm just, I, that's not... That's not it. There's got to be more. I needed something more real. I wanted something more gritty and real. This sterilized life that I was living at that time just was not cutting it. It wasn't going to the depths of what I knew that God had for me in my life. I often say and and describe it that I was basically living this life along this path, and there was a parallel life somewhere that I was supposed to be at, and somehow I couldn't bring those two together. I was like in the wrong place and just time and years were going by. And then somehow, by the grace of God in this really crazy and weird way that I won't get into the details, but I found this little scrappy group of people here in Tampa that some of you probably have heard of called the Underground. And this was back in 2009. And through finding this group, about within 18 months, my entire life had changed. God used things that he would speak to me, lessons that they had learned, ways that they were on mission in the city to entirely change my life. You know, at the time, I was living in a pristine, gated community out in Brandon, in the suburb of Brandon, the type of community with an on-point HOA There's someone walking around the neighborhood. You're about to get a message on your next door app that something suspicious must be going on because someone's walking around. And I, you know, some people love it there. And in fact, the time while I was there, just a couple blocks over in my neighborhood, my mom and stepfather lived there, and that was huge for me in that season, such a support that I thank God for. But at the same time, I'd been there too long. I'd been living there for 10 years, and inside, it was like death for my very being in that place for me. That is not where I was supposed to be. I knew I was called to something different, and I needed something to click to make that shift. You know, even though I am an introvert, and being an introvert is great. I mean, many people are introverts, but left to my own devices, for example, in this neighborhood, I'm going to go into my garage with my car, click the garage door down, and I'm never going to talk to anybody. And that is not, we are made for relationship. So even as an introvert, you are still made for relationship with other people. I was made for relationship, and I was sitting in that house with my child. Basically, my soul was withering away. So 18 months after I met this group of people, I changed everything. I moved to a place over here on the corner of Nebraska and Florabraska. Me and my 10-year-old at the time, we started renting out this 600-square-foot little awesome house that I'm in love with, actually. And <laughs> it, we, in our house, we were three houses from Nebraska Avenue. And on the other side, we are three houses from what was an, or still... Things have changed somewhat, as you know, in our, in our city, but three houses the other way was a notorious corner where there were tons of people hanging out, some playing dominoes, some selling drugs and toting guns. There was tons of gun violence. There was tons of everything that goes along with that type of thing. In my new neighborhood, well, you see, in that neighborhood, there's people outside walking around all the time. 
whether they're walking around because they want to talk to other people because relationship is a very high value in our neighborhood, or they're walking around because literally they need to get a loaf of bread and that's their mode of transportation. Everybody's outside walking around. From day one, I had people knocking on my door. I had people asking to help me move my furniture in. I'm like, you know, it was a complete, I was a fish out of water. This was a complete different culture for me. I might as well have moved to another country. But at the same time, it's right where I needed to be. It's right where, right where I knew that God was calling me to be. Um, In my new neighborhood, I saw there was life and vitality and beauty. With With relationships being a high value, that people take time to stop and talk to each other. You might be trying to leave in a hurry to go somewhere. Someone's in front of you and needs to talk to the person walking down the street, so you might as well know you might be sitting there for five minutes while they're having their conversation because... That being on time to something isn't as high a value as actually being able to interact with another person in that culture, that neighborhood, where I live, my neighborhood. Um, So there's vitality in life. There's people laughing, dancing, people enjoying music. I mean, this is like on the daily. Um, And just spending time together. And a lot of people in our neighborhood, I mean, obviously there's houses there, so people have a place to sleep. People know have food in their fridge, and then there's a lot of people that also call our street home that they don't know for sure where they're going to sleep tonight, or they have a little pallet made up behind the fence or something, and they don't know what they're going to eat that day. It's a really intense mixture of beauty and desperation, and the glory of God and the depravity of evil all intertwined. This is something that I had not been a part of before or experienced before. And it started my very personal journey, and it's changed the way that I see everything. It's changed the way that I view people and life and God and politics and church and food and race and everything. Basically, every single thing in my life has changed since the time that that whole process started and I moved. And in becoming part of my new neighborhood, I started to participate in the ministry of presence. And it's been through participating in the ministry of presence that God's been taking me on my journey. You know, when I first moved to my neighborhood, I would have said, there's times I've probably said to people, oh yeah, we're this group of people and we're moving here or there, whatever, we're bringing light to a dark place. And I've been humbled in that with people that I've met and that I've gotten to see that how much that God is already in, there's women that I've become close friends with that are on their knees several times a day calling out to God and trusting God in for everything. For They're not sure how they're going to pay their rent or keep their lights on, but when they make a meal, they're making a meal big enough to share with the person that's sitting out on the stump that doesn't have something to eat. If someone needs a place to sleep and they have a nook or cranny in their house, they're welcoming them into their house. It challenged me in a way of, do I trust God on the same level? And so I just come to see that it's not as cut and dry that there's light places and dark places. Everywhere in our city, it's very intertwined, the beauty of God and the desperation and the depravity of evil. It's very intertwined. 
It challenged me, and I knew I had a lot to learn. And at the same time, I could feel that God was calling me to this ministry of presence, that even though I didn't know how to fix things, I didn't know what to say, I was a fish out of water, as I said, God was still telling me, you can still be present. You can still step into difficult situations, and through that, you know, that basically even not knowing what to do, you can still be there and be present, carrying Christ, carrying the love of God. And so when I look back and I see, I see that God has been patiently and, per- and persistently teaching me about how to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly through the ministry of presence. Maybe you have or haven't heard this term before, ministry of presence. It's defined when a Christian is expressing care and concern for another person by being present with them. And in doing that, they're expressing the care and the concern that Jesus has for that person. That's the ministry of presence. You can sit there and pay attention to someone and be with someone in a way that they start to recognize that they are loved by God. They start to feel that presence of God that is there already. So this has been a lot of the ministry that's been happening there on the street. Just being there, being a friend, being a person of prayer, having Bible studies, having times of people coming over to pray together, and just being available. Somewhat of, you know, when, when I first moved to that street, I started somewhat of having an open door policy where people have referred to our houses like the community center or things along that, that lines. Um, I was just there, you know, in the hard times with people. We've been there when people in our neighborhood have gotten shot and killed. We've been there at times of celebrations at, for um, baby showers, for other times, Halloweens where we've thrown big parties, things like that, just really developing community in our neighborhood together with all of us. So one of the things that comes to my mind when you think about all of this is that in the word, um, you know, Jesus tells us what we're to do first. And he says to seek first the kingdom of God. And, you know, when I think about that verse, it comes to mind recently a friend of mine that's here in Tampa. Some of you might know him, John Dangler. He posted something and he was talking about the kingdom of God. And he said that really what he's doing with his life is he's practicing as if he's in the kingdom of God, that he's already like in heaven, like practicing here and now. And I thought, you know, that is really a cool way to explain what we're doing, that we're practicing. It's a great way to explain. So imagine for a minute heaven, because heaven is like the kingdom of God perfected. God is totally king and in control of everything in heaven. Imagine heaven. Some people are going to imagine I don't, constant worship or doing some kind of good work with your hands that makes you feel alive and awesome. What, being reunited with loved ones, whatever. Imagine being in heaven and what you're going to be doing there. I don't know what you're imagining, but I do know none of us are in a hurry when we're in heaven. We're not in a hurry. We're there. We're available for whatever's happening in the moment. No one is lonely 
in the kingdom of heaven. Love is abounding. I mean, God is love. And when we're in the kingdom of heaven, love is abounding. So it's my heart, my intent to try to practice that now. And what can you do to try to practice that now in your life also? What role can we actually bring in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth? You know, in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? Through us. It's pretty simple. Through us is how that's going to happen. So about a year after moving onto the street where we live over here, um, I got married to my husband, pretty amazing, George Wood. And um, so literally, we had, I don't know if y'all know anybody else who's had an arranged marriage, but George and I had an arranged marriage. So our marriage was arranged, you know, for the kingdom of God, to expand the kingdom of God, literally was the purpose of our marriage, arranged by God and by these people in our lives, who are some of our best friends that arranged our marriage. And um, it's really a miraculous story. There's a lot to the story about our marriage and his ministries and things that have happened in that and in how we live in intentional community now and actually without all of those things that how God has brought all those things together has my life would not be the same without all of that but those are stories for another time so we've continued to live on the little street actually I mean live on our street actually so the little house that we moved into we um George was living across the street so we literally packed our boxes and walked across the street when we got married. So, um, by the, and that, that is where we continue to live today on that same street where we moved in January of 2011. So, um, coming up now on 12 years and been practicing the ministry of presence that whole time. A couple weeks ago, literally two weeks ago yesterday, It was a Saturday afternoon, and it was a quiet afternoon, unusually quiet for our neighborhood, and I was enjoying it, and sitting in our living room and enjoying just being there, Um, and then suddenly, boom, like super loud, and it was something I wasn't sure what that just was, and a couple seconds later, boom, like super, like disorienting like what is going on and so we go outside and two houses down across the street so right there the police had raided a duplex where both sides of a duplex and basically what all you can see is there's tons of people outside there's the SWAT team the police the undercover people that this ragtag team that I can't remember what they're called. They're all swarming around this duplex. They had, there's this um, large military looking blacked out vehicle that had run over the fence in the front yard. There's this other, the SWAT team car is pulled up. And of course, it's a very chaotic scene. You know, emotions are high. People are in shock. It's like, what is happening? All the neighbors are outside. You know, it's a type of anxiety that 
Maybe you only feel when the SWAT team is raiding a neighborhood full of minorities. Um, So we walk over there and there's, as I mentioned, they were, I I don't know if I said it, they were bringing people out in handcuffs out of the duplex. And out of the number of people coming out, the majority of them that they were bringing out were teenagers, these teenage boys. And so there's this grandfather there walking up and he sees his kids being brought out and his grandkids being brought out in handcuffs. So he's getting very angry and he's approaching the officers. These are kids. Get the handcuffs off these kids. What are you doing? What are you doing? These are kids. And the police are telling him to back off. And so I'm, I'm very close you know, walking up where he is, and I see him start to walk around the SWAT team vehicle, and I know he's going to where one of the other kids are, and closer up to the duplex and where a bunch of other police were, and I just felt something drop in my spirit that I needed to follow him, and I knew, you know, by being a white woman, that I'm going to potentially bring another level of accountability to the officers and whatever's going to happen in this situation just by being there and standing close by. And so he goes up and he's yelling and this officer ends up being, you know, somewhat kind to him and explaining a little bit enough to where he can back off. And so he starts to back away. And then this other neighbor of ours who is, um, walks up and starts actually getting in this guy's face, saying something completely unrelated to what was going on. And they start going at it. And he, our other neighbor that walked up to him, was completely inebriated. And they're screaming at each other now. Things are already, emotions are very high. The grandfather is seeing his grandchildren in handcuffs. Who knows what kind of images or whatever that's bringing up for him. And they're feeling completely powerless with all of these people swarming in our neighborhood. And they're, you know, grappling to feel some type of control or something. Everything is like chaotic in that moment. All I can remember is that they're screaming at each other. And the grandfather's actually pointing at the guy, like pointing at his glasses, hitting his glasses with his finger and threatening to hurt him and all this stuff. And I'm literally like six inches. They're right here. And this is happening. And I know that literally a few feet behind us are these officers with their assault rifles. I mean, they're walking around with these huge assault rifles that you know at any second, this situation could turn deadly. So I, in, in the midst of all of this, I stepped in between them and I grabbed the man, my neighbor that I've known for 10 years, I grabbed him and pulled him to the side and the, the one that was inebriated, and I was able to, I was right there with him eye to eye and able to talk to him and able to just be the presence of God in that moment, and peace was able to come over the situation. It was a really crucial moment. I mean, lives were at stake in that moment. We know all too often how these scenes can end, but I, as I'm sitting there talking to him face to face and eye to eye, I'm remembering or I know there's over the years, there's been many other times I've talked to him face to face, eye to eye. We've had many conversations, just regular, how are you doing conversations about our street, whatever. That relational equity had been developed through the years, through that ministry of presence. So in that 
because of that relational equity that had been developed, because that he knew I was there as a person of peace, I was able to step in and do that by the grace of God. After that, things did calm down and were very peaceful, and I stayed out there for a little over an hour, just hanging out with the neighbors and continuing that ministry of presence. You see, the ministry of presence can be very powerful. You don't know what it's going to turn into when you're able to step into relationships and just be carry the presence of God. So to more fully understand justice and how to live out the ministry of presence, we need to more fully understand people. I think there's something to understanding people that can be found in the Matthew 25 scripture that can help us in this process. And the part in Matthew 25 where Jesus tells a story that he says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that he's going to be separating people or nations, he says, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And when he explains what is it that he's going to use, what is it going to be based on to separate the sheep and the goats? And Jesus says it's going to be based on whether when Jesus was hungry, did you feed him? When Jesus was naked, did you clothe him? Etc. There's a few other things that he mentions. And the, the people that he's telling did this, that he's inviting into the kingdom, says, you know, when did we do those things? We don't remember you being hungry or naked, and we don't remember this. And Jesus says, when you did this for the least of these. In the message, ver- when you did these for the least of these, you did these for me, is what Jesus says. In the message version, it reads, whenever you did one of these things to someone who was overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. And I often talk about the image of God is on, that we're created in God's image. We have the image of God. But when you reflect on this verse, this, this passage I was just referring to, what if it's actually true that Jesus said that somehow these people are like mysteriously carrying Christ? The people that he said were overlooked or ignored. What if somehow we're all carrying Christ like for real? Does it change the way that you look at justice? You know, sometimes the Christ inside of a person might be hidden so deep that you don't see it, that you think maybe it's not there. But what if in that moment the Christ is still in there, but maybe it's the version of Christ when Christ was in the tomb waiting for the stone to be rolled away, waiting for that huge stone He was hidden behind the stone. And I've actually seen that time and again in people where you, on the surface, you're not seeing anything to do with God or Jesus in this person's life. But there's been times when God's opened my eyes to see something deeper. Sorry, y'all, I confused myself in how I did my pages just when I switched them up a minute ago. 
<laughs> okay, there's this um, friend of mine, someone that I had known for like 10 years, and actually she passed away in July of 2020. We were very close. We spent a lot of hours together. We spent a lot of time praying together and dreaming of the future and considering talking about ways of, you know, how can some change come to Tampa? How can we bring some more justice to Tampa? She cooked dinners at our house. We spent a lot of time together. She was a very brilliant woman, and she taught me so much. She also spent a lot of time actually living on the streets. She was chronically homeless in many times of her life. So there was this one period early on in knowing her that she started suffering from a manic, psychotic, paranoid episode. She did suffer from severe mental illness. And that's a saying that we say people suffer from mental illness, but it's not an understatement. People are suffering that are dealing with mental illness. During this episode, she actually began to think that I was Satan incarnate. I didn't really know how serious that it was that she was thinking that. And this episode's going on, you know, not just for an hour. It's for days and days and days. Um, One day she, like, snuck up behind me on our porch and was, like, whispering right in my ear. Like, I could feel her breath. And she's, like, actually singing this very eerie song that was threatening to kill me because she literally believed that I was Satan. And, you know, that song was very chilling. That was a very chilling moment. And it really made us kind of rethink our open door policy and decided to start locking our doors for a while. (laughs) Um, During this season, she came to our house and she was in this full-blown, out-of-control episode that was happening. She was so angry, and she was just out of touch with reality in that moment. I mean, her mental, mental illness had her with um, delusions and everything that goes along with a psychotic episode. We were out in the front yard, and she was, you know, threatening me, and all of this stuff was happening. And, you know, in my face, yelling at me and whatever. But in that moment, God gave me his eyes to be able to see past the surface, to be able to see past the things she was saying that were trying to hurt me were actually hurting her. The things she was saying lashing out to me was actually isolating her. God showed me the way that he could see her under there. He could see her. It was like she, the spirit of Christ that was in her was hidden behind that big stone and the stone needed to be moved away. But in that moment, it wasn't getting moved away and, but she was still there. Like God showed me the woman underneath, underneath everything that she was saying. He spoke through me love over her, even as she was continuing to barrage me with all of this other stuff. He really, Christ through me, stood up to her mental illness and stood up to the dark forces that were trying to destroy her in that moment. 
and spoke past all of that to that woman that was under there that was a hurt woman that was just isolated and lonely and scared. In that incident, you know, it could have ended up with her in jail or with me injured or dead, but by the grace of God, the glory of God and the love of God won out. And eventually that stone was rolled away again and she was able to be free and our relationship survived and it thrived. I mean, we had a lot of ups and downs in our relationship. But when I look back, I remember a lot. I remember mostly the ups. And years later, she actually started working with our ministry. She started volunteering with us and was doing our books. And it was just the glory of God. Like in songs, when we say, God, show me your glory, I picture situations like that. Like I look around and I want to see the glory of God. One, we can see God in nature and all of that, but he can also reveal his glory in each other. So I did see that in her life by the grace of God. Her, she died unexpectedly. It was extremely sad that her life was cut short. See, we don't always get to see the happy ending that we want to see in the here and now. But in Ephesians 1.10 and Philippians 3.21, we're promised that at the right time, that God's going to bring everything under the authority of Jesus, that everything will be made right. So even though we don't always get to see the glory of God in the here and now, sometimes we do. I want to tell you guys a little bit about Just Initiative. I can't remember if Natalie had mentioned that in the introduction, but Just Initiative is a ministry that was started in 2015, and Natalie volunteers with us, and it's um, a ministry that started out of the work that I've been telling you about in our living room, basically, on our street with our friends and family there, our friends and neighbors there. And it has grown from that, from doing a little homework club with kids just showing up needing help for their homework, help with their homework um, in 2015 to today. It's grown into all of these different programs that you can see up here. And it's completely by the grace of God, completely by the grace of God. We have a residential program where families, moms with children are able to come. And when they don't have anywhere else to live, they can come and live in Petra House and receive care and concern and the ministry of presence and life skills classes and all kinds of other stuff that happens while they are taking a minute to breathe and to seek what God wants to do in their life for their next step. Um, There's, I'm not going to go into detail in all of this, but the Petra House, the Zone is a program that we have for children that we do all kinds of cool stuff in the Zone. Community care, we have a drop-in center over if anyone's um, 15th Street and 26th Avenue where Paul's Liquor Store is, and we are right on that corner and with a drop-in center and a free boutique where anyone can come and get clothes and shoes and accessories. So if you are in need of some clothes, please come. If you have clothes to give, please give. And in there, we also, we also have what we call the WE program, and it's a case management program where we collaborate with families to be able to just strengthen families in our city. 
So um, in that, you know, as we've been growing in Just Initiative, the heart and the intent was to do everything that we do also with and with incorporating everything with justice too, to really uplift the families, the people in our community that have often been marginalized. We have a commitment on our board of directors, which if you're not familiar with a nonprofit, the board of directors are actually like the owners kind of, they are the ones running everything, that we will always have at least 51% women of color on our board of directors. And in any time we're looking to find a vendor, um, for something, we're looking for a person of color or we're looking for a black-owned business when, whenever possible. That's our default, our first thing that we go to. So while we're pursuing the mission that God has given us, which the mission that God has given us is to create community across racial divides and across economic divides. In our country, the economic divides are deep. The racial divides are deep, and they overlap in a lot of ways. And our mission is to create community across them. And when we come together as community with people across all the socioeconomic, we all come together, and together we're creating pathways out of poverty. We're creating pathways out of financial poverty. We're creating pathways out of relational poverty. When we all come together, the Spirit of God is there and starts to do this. So I'm gonna sh- uh, we're going to show you just all these different things that we're doing here. You know, all of it is really soaked in prayer and for the glory of God and the good of each other. And there's a few pictures that we have. This was our recent Thanksgiving dinner that, um, that we had together. And, um, you know, these are people that we are all together as, like, friends. We, it is really... Sometimes it's extremely difficult, and it's really miraculous the way that we really, community has been cultivated. We can go through the pictures. This, we had a, like a VBS summer camp this last year, and there was over 80 people that participated in various ways, and, excuse me, and it was all, there was all kinds of different things that we talked about in the summer camp, including things like um, body boundary, body safety, things like that that we know are really important for the children that are in our community. This is also part of our part of the zone program um, that we call Gen Up, raising up the next generation kids that are about to go into kindergarten, four and five year olds. This is a part of our, a picture of our free boutique where we have our clothes and shoes and anyone's welcome to come and shop for free. And this was a recent celebration that we had. It was actually huge. One of the women in our community wrote a book and released it on September 11th. And this was our party celebrating for her book release. Was that, I think that's the last one. Yes, okay, awesome. I wanted to just share with you guys some of the stuff that we do. I don't know how much everyone's aware in Watermark, but earlier this year, Watermark decided to partner with us financially. So all of what we're talking about is part that we're doing together through your partnership. So, you know, as I was saying, sometimes... um, 
we do get to see the good, and I'm going to close with one last story of telling you about a family that, um, one of the families that's been part of our community. I first met her four years ago, and she came to me and um, was talking to me about what was going on, and she had recently been through a very tragic situation. She'd witnessed the her son's father dying right in front of her, being losing his life right in front of her. There were a lot of complications around that situation and directly tied to that situation, she and her children ended up losing their housing and they came and stayed at Petra House for a while. And while she was there, she decided to go to pharmacy school and become a pharmacy tech. And it was pretty amazing. She's going to school, doing her externship. Everything's going great while she's still in school. She got an opportunity to move in with a family member. And of course, she was ready and wanted to do that. But quickly, while she, after she had moved out, she lost the little bit of income that she had while she was going to school and lost her phone, lost touch with us, and then wasn't able to pay for daycare anymore, so she wasn't able to keep going to school because of daycare. She kept trying to move forward in various ways, and she um, just kept hitting roadblock after roadblock, and she just didn't have the support around her to be able to keep her head above water. So three years later, she reached back out to me, and I was so happy to hear from her. I didn't know any of this had been going on. And she explained to me what had happened and said, asked if we could still be there for her and said that she needed help. So she moved back into Petra House. This is three years after. And she was able to reconnect with her school. They still had those credits were still available. So she was able to start back into her externship program pretty soon after she moved in. She graduated. She became, she got certified and registered and licensed. I don't know if I remember all the things, but there were like three different things that she had to get as a pharmacy tech, and it was quite a process, and she went through all of that. Now today, she has a job that she loves. Her kids are stable, all in school or daycare, and she, lo- she talks about her job all the time, how much that she loves her job. And then last week, she said she's already doing the footwork to start to go to USF next year and graduate with a, she's looking to have a four of bachelors. She will literally be the first person. She's telling me how scared she is. And when we're talking about why she's scared, she's like, I don't know anyone that's done this. No one in my family has ever gone to college. And she tell, and in that conversation, she was saying how she would not be where she is if it wasn't for Petra House. She, without the support around her of people around her, which we all need support. When you think back on your own life of the support that you've had in your life, we all need support to be able to move forward. So praise God. I mean, I look at this courageous woman and her beautiful children and think about the impact that her time, which in her whole lifespan, her time in Petra House is pretty short, and that is going to impact the rest of her entire life. And not only hers, but what about her kids and the kids after that and the kids after that that are going to be impacted through this time? 
So this is the kind of thing that we're doing here in Just Initiative. We're here in the hard, and we're here in the celebrations, and we're here to reflect the love of God in a real relational community, to pay attention to others in a way that they can accept and understand that they are loved. And it's not just an us and them. People in Just Community are paying attention to me in a way that I can understand that I'm loved by God too. We're in it together. We're all in it together. We let each other know that we're not alone, that we're not forgotten, and that we're stronger together by the grace of God. So what does justice and mercy and humility look like? What does it look like to practice the kingdom and to walk it out? And how can the ministry of presence be practiced in your life? I come with questions and I come with love and I ask you to consider what can you do to step out and allow the Christ that is within you to flow through you as you practice the ministry of presence. What is it that you can do? And know that if I can make a radical shift and change in my life, that you can too. I do want to see a more just Tampa. I do want to see more justice in our city. And I'm hoping that you're going to be part of that. So step out and do something. And when you hear the voice of God today, don't harden your hearts. I'm going to close with a Franciscan blessing. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may wish for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. God bless you, Watermark. Thank you, Julie. That was, that was amazing. Um, if you would like more information about Just Initiative, there's going to be a table uh, in the lobby where you can get more information about the work uh, that's happening. And, and uh, so I, I also want to thank the, gov- the, uh, the missions board uh, for, for introducing Just Initiative to Watermark. And uh, that was great. Give her a round of applause. So let's stand up and uh, let's read the Lord's Prayer together as we, as we leave. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet your neighbors as you walk out. Say hello. Everybody have a great Sunday.